I'm so glad that you're here for such an important service. Joining me on stage are two very special families that are ministering to us today. To my left are the Gates. This is John Mark and Tony Gates. Welcome back home. Now, some of you don't realize this, that uh, this is the son of the house. I mean, they have been with us for many, many years. They were at UTSA. Chi Alpha alumni, they they helped us. How many? I don't know how many hours you invested setting up and tearing down before a movie theater, and 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 they were sent over to College Station to help the Aggies come to know Jesus, and they need they need the Lord, they need. The, and then over to my right are the are, are Steve and Jennifer, and they were one of our very first missionaries over 10 years ago that we started supporting. They've been ministering in the Czech Republic. And so they're coming back to our community and, and being trained and getting connected with our church family so then that we can send them to international churches that are going to be started. So their new assignments, they will be going to the Middle East. This is a very big deal. And I'm so excited that you get to meet them. And here's the, here's the reality, y'all. All right. So if I had on stage with me two military families, like, for example, the Weddells here on the fourth row. Everybody wave at the Weddells. They're an important part of our church family, small group leaders. David is on assignment. He's being deployed, all right? So if you're watching David, we love you. We appreciate you. We honor you. If, if when David comes back, maybe we need to do this. If we brought their family on stage, you guys would not hesitate to get out of your seats and appreciate and honor them for their sacrifices to protect our country, right? Here's the reality. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful in the mountain are the feet of the messengers who bring good news and salvation. And so these two families are going to very difficult places to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to start new churches. They're part of us, and we now have an opportunity. Can you help me appreciate and honor these two families for the sacrifices that they have made and are making as a church family. We support you. We're behind you. We love you and are grateful that you're here today. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Um, thank you, Pastor John, for the warm welcome. Um, we, my wife and I have four kids, uh, ranging from 11 to 2, and uh, they're having fun with Jude and Liam in the back. So, But it's a privilege to be with you. I want to pray. Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to show us who God is and what he's really like. That we don't have to use our imaginations, that when we look upon you, we see the King, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you, God, for showing us the Father and what he's really like. Lord, help us this morning to know you better, to know you more, to fall more in love with you, because you're worth it all, King Jesus. Be with me, Lord, and help me to share what you've laid on my heart. Be with every person who's listening to my voice. Have their hearts open to hear your word, that it would bear much fruit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. How many of you have been on a road trip? That's right. I mean, we got UTSA around the corner. Uh, my good friend Johnny Hawk is the king of road trips, and Ryan Queck, they go on crazy trips all the time. Um, I remember one time I was on a cross-cultural road trip, I'll call it that, in North Africa. 
And uh, I'm, you know, if you're wondering, I'm six foot seven, so I'll just get that out of the way. Um, and the longest time my shoe size was the same as my age. So thank God that stopped when I was 15. Um, every time having a birthday, going up a new shoe size is a little alarming. And so we were in this taxi going from across the desert um, to this mountain city um, in this particular country. And uh, there's uh, two people in the front seat, and that's inclu- not including the driver. And then there's like five people in the back seat. So you can imagine we're crammed in a four-door Mercedes taxi going on a four-hour drive. As I said, I'm six foot seven. So it's me and my good friend Jason Bell sharing the front seat. At one point, I had to move up and sit on the center console. Well, well, being at my height, my head's like this. So the taxi driver opened the sunroof so I could get my head out. And I look like a giraffe, you know, like on the circus trains, you know, you see the head sticking out. That's exactly what I look like for four hours. And I'm just sitting there praying, Jesus, Jesus, do not let this guy slam on the brakes. And we have all these road trips we've been on in our lives. And they, some of them are really good and exciting and some of them are not so good. You know, I, prior to coming this week, my wife got COVID. I've never seen my wife sick and we've been married for 17 years. And then my kids get sick. And so there was no time to even, I was getting, I was telling Derek, no time to, I was getting nervous and nervous. Like, I need time to prepare. I'm, I'm sharing here. And, uh, and I didn't want to tell Kyle. I didn't want to tell John. I was like, Jesus, let us get through this. And we're here. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter two this morning. And we're going to look at a road trip. The road trip of the three wise men. Because the Bible is full of road trips. And so starting in chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to go through uh, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And I'm going to stop right there. Jesus is born in this little town, insignificant little town, Because the Magi, you can imagine, when you hear about like the prophecy of the king coming, you think he's going to come in pomp and circumstance. There's going to be these giant parades and all of that. And it's not so with Jesus. Because they go to Jerusalem first. They think he's going to be born in the capital. They think there's going to be in this place of the prominence, the the metroplex in a sense, or the metropolis. But he wasn't born there. He was born off in the countryside in a poor place. And what does that tell you about our king? He didn't take upon the nature of like princes of this world or the nature of royalty in our time. You know, I bet when Prince Harry and, you know, or he's not prince anymore, but, you know, they had their baby. They, was, they had everything rolled out for them. But that wasn't so much for the king of kings. And he took upon this nature of this lowly person, I think because of this, He wanted to show that anybody could come to him. He came in humility, in meekness, in the manger, which is really kind of cool, called the place. Bethlehem means house of bread. And that's the place for the bread for our souls is, where the king is. I like what E. Stanley Jones says. He calls Jesus God approachable. So that for those who maybe are not born of this type of royalty or this, they're like, well, how could I come to the king? 
Why would the king even be, care about me? But he comes in this lowly state, in this poor place, so that any person can come to the king. And as we move on in verse 2, it says, And they asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Even though the Lord's birth was of humiliation and humility, there's also something quite glorious about it. So you can imagine, here's the Magi on this road trip. These guys are wise philosophers, probably theologians, and they've probably heard of these prophecies. They're looking for it. And this star has led them. And you can imagine, they're on this long road, and they're approaching Jerusalem with anticipation. They're coming to Jerusalem because, remember, they think it's going to be at the capital. This is where the birth of the king should be. And they come there, and what do they expect? They're expecting Jerusalem to be in an uproar. They're expecting Jerusalem to be full of anticipation of the birth of the king. But that's not what they find. They show up, and they ask, and then they're like, Jerusalem's like, yeah, it's business as usual. They're not looking for the king. They're just going on and doing their thing. So you can imagine you have traveled all this way. You have gone hundreds and hundreds of miles, or for those who like the metric system, kilometers. And they're going all this way. And then you get to the place where you think this is supposed to be where it's going to happen. And it's, yeah. How many of you have gone to a place where you're like, you, you think it's all built up in your mind and you get there and you're like, yeah. But it didn't stop these guys. They're wondering, where is the king? And then they begin going on to verse 3. When King Herod then heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod was a foreign king. He wasn't the rightful king of the Jews. Actually, he, he is a, an awful person. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. And when he heard this, and, and he had no right to be the king. He had no right to possess what he had. And so what he thought was, here comes the real king. I'm going to be dethroned. I'm going to lose my power, my place, all my territory, even though it was this little area. And then that's what troubled him. And then all of Jerusalem was troubled because of this. They're like, uh-oh, he's going to go on a rampage again. He's going to go kill more people. So everybody is nervous about this now. And I find the irony of the story this. The, king, the wise men come to Jerusalem to give the greatest news ever told. And yet it troubled the people. Think about that. They come with good tidings, good news of the message of the king. He's come, and all of the people are troubled. You see, when the king comes, our little kingdoms begin to tremble. The boundaries of our kingdom become threatened when the real king comes. And Herod was troubled because he was trying to hold on to his little kingdom. 
my question for you this morning and for me is what do we do when the king comes? Moving on to verse 4. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may worship him. Now, as I said, Herod is an awful person. He's so awful, he's known for being immortal, uh, not immortal, but immoral, and he's brutal. Herod actually is where the meaning of hero comes from, from Herodias, repeatedly in the scriptures. And these kings named Herod, this is what they were known for, attempting to murder while the things of God were still in their infancy. Think about that. Tries to stop something at the very beginning. And all to do, it was to keep his little kingdom. After they heard the king, in verse 9, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen rose ahead of them. Now, most people get this picture like we see in our Christmas cards and all that, the star's like way up here. This is something a little different. This is almost like a star that's like in front of them, leading them, like the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This is what's going on. This is what makes this birth glorious of the supernatural aspects. That here's this star kind of in front of them. And you can imagine, I mean, this is talking about the road trip of road trips now. You get to part obstacles, this, and now you're seeing the miraculous. And they see it. It stops over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there's a couple of thoughts I wanted to pull out of these scriptures to share with you. First, notice this, that when they see the child, it does not say they bowed down and worshipped they. Of any moment where, where we could worship Mary, They didn't do that. And Joseph, they bowed down, it says, and worshiped him, the one king. And then they brought their best, presents fit for a king. They offered tribute from their own home countries of gold, frankincense, and myrrh being found where they're from, in the East. And it's always well for each of us to bring our best, what we have, to the King. Now, true worship is more than just a prostrate body and lifted hands. We can come in here and do all of those things. But true worship is much more than that. 
If you think about the gold here, the gold represents the glorious wealth deserving of royalty. They're coming in and giving gold and bowing the knee saying, you are the king. I submit to you. You are the king of kings. And so when they give that gold and bow down, that is submission saying, you are the authority over my life. And then when they come in with the frankincense, this is the spice that's used to cover the smell of death and funerals. And it's represented of the death and the life that Jesus would live, his sacrificial life. And so that when holy living, when, when God commands us to live a holy life, that's actually an act of worship. Because we've rightfully bowed our knee to the king. We have given him our gold, our best. And then we say we want to live a holy life. You see, true worship is more than a prostrated body and a lifted hands. And then the myrrh. Myrrh is this gummy resonance substance. It actually tastes bitter. And it's used as medicine for mouth ailments and to remove intestinal blockages. And this symbolizes the bitter hatred of sins of the mouth and hateful things that prevent repentance. And I think that's why David in the Psalms, in Psalms 19, 14, he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. It's that I want to also on my mouth be, give glory to God, that I honor him with my mouth and how I care about those things. And I have a gentle, sweet spirit that if God brings in correction and I need to repent and I'm willing to repent, you see that? So these three symbols are meaning of true worship. That he, God gives, he has his rightful place as the king and we give him our gold. He's also that we want to give holy lives. That's the frankincense. And that we want to do anything that would not hurt him. And that we would run from sin to be with the king. And so I try to imagine these guys on this journey. Because the scriptures don't tell us much about the journey except for when they come to Jerusalem and they come to Bethlehem. We don't know much. So I always try to picture of like, what's the bigger story? What's the other story? You know, and there's many of these road trips that I would have loved to have been on. This is one of them. The road to Emmaus is definitely one of them. You know, I'm like, I would love to sit on that conversation where that Jesus expounds all of the scriptures of all the prophecies to those two guys. And this would be another one. And you can imagine, they're going through deserts, probably crossing rivers, mountains, probably facing hardship, lack of water, all these different obstacles just to go. And we already know about the obstacle of going to Jerusalem. So could you imagine all of that anticipation? You go there and then nothing happens. No one's excited. And there's probably, you guys have all been on a road trip, right? There's always that one person on the road trip who doesn't want to go. You know, they're reluctant and you're trying to convince them. Come on, you need to come with us. Please, please. And you're begging them, begging them, begging them. You know, and there's, there's probably the one guy of the three wise men going, man, we went last year and we were wrong. Or we tried this other thing and we were wrong. You could, all of that going into play here. But these guys were determined to meet the king. And it got me thinking about this thing. What is the difference between an inconvenience and an adventure? Because they're very similar. 
An inconvenience is this. It's an adventure that's been wrongly considered. It's an adventure that's been wrongly considered. An adventure is an inconvenience that's been rightly considered. It's an inconvenience that's been rightly considered. I think of one of the the stories that really illustrates this quite well is the, the story of the Hobbit with Bilbo Baggins. And you know about... In the intro of the Lord of the Rings, that hobbits are very routine characters. They don't want to leave the Shire. They love to, to drink their ale and good smoke pipe weed. And they love their food. And, and they love that comfortable, convenient life. And you, and you can imagine this picture in The Hobbit when all of the dwarves are coming to Bilbo's house. And what does Bilbo act like? He's a jerk. <laughs> He's complaining, he's agitated, he's frustrated. He's like, these dwarves are coming in, they're taking over the place. They're, and all of this is it's chaos to him because he's, he's been inconvened. And then he begins to hear their story. He begins to hear of why they're there. And Gandalf is trying to plead with him because Gandalf knows Bilbo needs to change for the better. Gandalf could see things, and, and they had this whole conversation because Bilbo just wants to play it safe. That's what convenience is sometimes, playing it safe. And at this moment, after Bilbo realizes all of what's going on, and he's sitting, and he doesn't remember, he leave, they leave. And he's sitting there thinking, I think I'm missing something. And then his attitude changes. And it's not an inconvenience anymore. And he goes, I'm going on an adventure. And Gandalf, remember, also tells him this, that if you go on this, you will not come back the same. You will not come back the same. So what happens when the king comes? Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled by this. They didn't even try to go. It was inconvenient for them because they wanted to keep their power. They wanted to sit on the throne. But then you have the wise men. The coming of the king was not an inconvenience, but it was an adventure. For them, because they had hearts of worship and adoration, nothing was going to stop them from giving their worship to him. Their attitude determined their outlook. I'll say that again. Their attitude determined their outlook. Their attitude of worship was sitting there. Whatever comes before me, whatever comes against me, I'm going to give my worship to the king. And we see similar stories all through the scriptures of faith overcoming inconveniences. And that turned into glorious revelations. We think of the woman with the issue of blood, right? Where she's this huge crowd around Jesus all pressing upon him and she just wiggles and squishes all the way through just to touch a hem of his garment and be healed. And then we think about the the friends with their the paralytic, right? And, And there's no room in the house and they climb on top of the roof of the house and then they bust the ceiling 
just to lower their friend down to Jesus. And then we see Jesus, boom, do something incredible. We think about the Canaanite woman who had the demon-possessed daughter. And the disciples were trying to keep her away from Jesus. And Jesus rewards her with the highest commendation of faith in the New Testament. He says, greater faith I haven't seen in all of Israel. Because she just said, even you, Lord, give crumbs to little dogs. My, I, a couple of weeks ago, we had the NCAA tournament, right? Uh, I have, my dreams when I went off to college was to play basketball. I'm six foot seven, like I said, and so it's either that or play, you know, change light bulbs. And so, um, and so one of my good friends, we were on the basketball team in high school together. His uh, name is Alvin Brooks. He's one of the assistant coaches for Baylor. And his dad was, actually, his dad coaches at U of H as assistant coach. And so they had a whole thing on um, when Baylor and uh, Houston played. And it, it just got me thinking again about this moment where my little kingdom got rocked when I went off to college. And that little decision about becoming a small group leader. Because you don't understand, basketball was my dreams. That was my safety. That was my place of refuge. I didn't have friends in high school. Basketball was my friend. And I used to play pickup ball with like Richard Lewis, who played for the Orlando Magic and Seattle Supersonics and played for the Miami Heat and Chris Anderson, the Birdman. Um, and so really, I, was, I went to Sam Houston to play basketball. And after getting discipled and learning how to walk with God, I, after I got baptized in water and then got filled with the Spirit, and my pastor about asking me to become a small group leader, and I was just going, well, that's inconvenient. And maybe God might be speaking to you about becoming a small group leader here. It's not convenient. I'll tell you that. But when that shift happened, because the Lordship of Jesus Christ gets tested in this area. It's in the area of the good things. It's the things that we want to hold on to. It's the things that we care about because we, they're good things. They're not bad things. And when I gave that to the Lord and became a small group leader, the things that were inconvenient now became an adventure because my outlook and perspective changed. And I had no idea that little decision of becoming a small group leader would change my whole trajectory in life. That now I've been serving in the Czech Republic for 10 years in one of the most atheistic places, and now God's taken us to the Arabian Peninsula, and it's not because of anything of that. It's just that adventure now with the king. When a life is surrendered fully to the king, there's no place, there's no difficulty to overcome, no obstacle in order to be with the king. That's what the wise men had. There was nothing going to stop them from worshiping the king. That is the great adventure. The great adventure is to follow him. And wherever that leads you and wherever that takes you, it doesn't matter. Long as you're with the king. Inconveniences of the world, I guarantee you, will arise. But our outlook will determine the fruit we will bear. Our great calling is to follow him. He is the God of the inconveniences. We see through all through scriptures of God doing things because there's an inconvenience. Was it convenient for the wise men to travel all the way to Bethlehem? Was it convenient for Moses to go to Pharaoh? 
Was it convenient for David to face Goliath, Saul, or Absalom? Was it convenient for Hosea to love and marry Gomer, who was a harlot? Was it convenient for Esther to go before the king of Persia? Was it convenient for Daniel to keep his convictions? Was it convenient for the three Hebrew children to not bow to Nebuchadnezzar? Was it convenient for Jesus to leave heaven and come show us who God really is and come to the cross? Was that convenient? No. But it was an adventure. Is it convenient to go talk to our schoolmates? Is it convenient to talk to our work colleagues? Is it convenient to talk to our family members? Is it convenient to talk to a stranger on the street or our neighbors about Jesus? No, folks, it's not convenient. But I believe it's in the places of the inconveniences is where real growth and real fruit happened and where real revelation comes. It's in those places of inconvenience is where we get to see God move in a way that we never thought, that we ever can imagine and anticipate it's in those moments where real love and faith and revelation for the adoration for our King comes. And that is why my family and the Gates family are heading to the Arabian Peninsula to plant community of believers who will go and plant other communities of believers, not because it's convenient. Because we want to be with the king. And we want others to be with the king. It's not convenient. But it is an adventure. Missions isn't convenient. Not one second but it is an adventure. And maybe some of you parents or grandparents, it's not convenient for my parents. I'm their only son. It's not convenient for them to see their grandkids once every five years, four years. It's not. But it's an adventure. And we're grateful. My parents moved from Colorado to Texas just so they can see my, their grandkids once every four years. But we go because we, we want to be with the king. And we believe that God is building this bridge and leading us there because he's going before us. He is the great calling. He is. And wherever we end up doing, whoever we end up talking to, that's just the icing on the cake. But why we go is because it's about being with him. Just like the wise men of the east brought the treasures to the king, now we get to bring this treasure, who is the king, to the people of the east. For in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, it says this, For we do not preach ourselves, 
but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake, for it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. It's not convenient, folks, to do this gospel, to live this gospel. It's an adventure. Would you stand? What is our response when the king comes? Do we feel like it's an inconvenience? If God's speaking to you about doing something and you're feeling, oh, that's not convenient, then what that means is that you still have citadels in your heart that you have not let go and given over to the king. But if you, when the king comes and you feel adventure, I have this word of advice. Buckle up. Be ready for the unexpected. Be ready because you know what? He is alive and he speaks. And so simply worship and you'll continue to be tested in this area. Like I said, I've been in the Tech Republic 10 years. It wasn't just an easy decision to go leave that and go to this. I poured out my heart and my soul in those people. And to see them to continuing the work of the kingdom there but I'd leave that because it's not more important than then being with the king. He is my calling, he is my target, he is my aim, and wherever he goes, that's where I want to be. That is the adventure of, of a lifetime of following the king. Being involved in Missio Dei, the mission of God, isn't convenient. It's an adventure. Who's joining that adventure this morning? I think God's speaking to you. And I, I challenge you to go tell somebody. Maybe it is to lead a small group. Who knows what God's going to do with it? Maybe it's to go take one of those prayer cards at the, the mission wall over here. And every meal, you take a card and you pray for a missionary that this gospel would go forward. I can just promise you this, in the words of Gandalf, you'll never be the same. You won't come back the same because you've been with the king. Jesus, we love you. And you're so worthy of our lives. Thank you, Jesus for showing us who God is and what he's really like. And to be with the king is no better life. And to bring others to the king is no better reward of your suffering. To see people love you and adore you as you should rightfully so. And God, help us to get over the conveniences and be ready to be inconvened for the sake of the king. 
because you're worth it all, Jesus. Speak. Do what you will in our hearts so that your gospel will go to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.